So we confess together that Christ ascended into heaven and that confession is based on revelation that we read in uh, Luke and Acts and we'll read those passages together. It's the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ that was already prophesied in the Old Testament in Psalm 47 and celebrated by the church in anticipation of that glorious gospel we confess together today. And so the first passage we'll read is uh, from Luke chapter 24, and we'll start at verse 36. It says, after the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Luke 24, starting at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. We'll also read the first verses of chapter 1 of the book of Acts the Acts of our Lord Jesus Christ through his apostles, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So by the reading of Holy Scripture, we'll now sing uh, together of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, as that's put to music in hymn 40. We'll sing the first two stanzas of this hymn. Hymn 40, stanzas 1 and 2. This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's on page 532 in the Book of Praise. Here is our confession. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature 
and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counter-pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. Beloved Church of our Lord and, Je- Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we read Lord's Day 18, our confession, and we think about what it means, we realize that it's very important for us today to know where Jesus is. Where is Jesus? And maybe in your readings, study, you've read one of those devotional type books, or maybe you follow or read one of those so-called Christian social media posts that encourage you to imagine that Jesus was alive today and walking among us. So now he's in your school, or he's a member of your church, or he's in the coffee shop outside your office, and he's seeing your behavior, he's listening to your words, he's looking for your friendship. And as people paint that kind of picture, they ask you, they want you to think about how you would interact with Jesus in the flesh in your life today. Would you have time to spend with him? Would he be welcome in your tight group of friends? Or would you walk past him because of his appearance or maybe his poverty? Would you tease him as a loser because he didn't like the same movies and music as you and all your friends? Would you call him a Bible thumper or a holy roller? Now, I'll grant that these types of questions do make us think about our devotion to our faith. But at the same time, we must be careful because they appear to be largely based on incorrect conclusions about where Jesus Christ is. Our situation is actually much more wonderful than such books and devotional literature depict. And rather than being a vulnerable man who needs your love to feel happy or some kind of secret service Bible spy disguised as our neighbor to check up on us, we confess that we believe Luke 24 and Acts 1 where the scriptures reveal that Jesus went up to heaven in the flesh. And this is the gospel I preach to you. Christ Jesus ascended into heaven. And in his ascension, Jesus Christ retains his humanity, he attains his glory, and he maintains his nearness. If we look at the passage we read together in Luke 24, This happened after Jesus appeared to the men on the road to Emmaus and after they had already recognized him when he broke the bread. 
And as these men, two men, were reporting on these things to the 11 disciples, we read in verse 36 that Jesus himself stood among them. Verse 37 says the disciples thought that he was a spirit. And so Jesus emphatically confirms for them that it is really him. He says in verse 39, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then to further allay their suspicions, our Lord Jesus even ate a piece of broiled fish in their presence so they could see it. He's making a point. In verses 50 to 53, it's the same Jesus with flesh and bones who leads them to the vicinity of Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives, and then lifts up his hands, and he blessed them as he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Well, the account that Luke gives in Acts does not differ on this point. For the same Jesus who began to do and teach the things recorded in, 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 in Luke, after having given many convincing proofs that he was alive, was the same one who was taken up into heaven. The Bible does not teach, as, as many suppose, the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus' glorified human body changed somehow as he was ascending so that he took on aspects of the divine nature that he could be omnipresent in the flesh after his ascension. In fact, our Lord Jesus goes out of his way to emphasize that this is exactly what did not happen. He ascended into heaven with flesh and bones, and hands, and after just eating some broiled fish. Jesus retained his human body in his ascension. By ascending into heaven with a human body, the Lord God reaffirms the goodness of his creation and the importance and the value that our human bodies have in, in, in our worship of God. The incarnation, the coming into the flesh of the Son of God, first made this clear, and then the ascension emphasizes it even more. Your human bodies are not just some disposable baggage that your Christian souls drag around, but we were each created with a body and soul composed of physical capabilities and thoughts and, and emotions. We live in this world filled with visible and invisible creatures. Every person is a unique individual created by God to worship him with all our hearts and souls and mind and strength. It's such an amazing thing to, to think about that we worship God with our bodies that we, we sang and that together in Psalm 8 with what is man that you made him ruler over all these things, you crowned him with glory and, and honor of ruling all creation as kings and queens. Now, when you compare our confession with the explanations concerning the origin of human beings, whether it's in the theory of evolution or that you might find in other pagan myths where humans, their, their bodies are, are, are nothing but the result of some forces of chance, or that you were created simply because some lazy gods didn't want to do any hard work on the earth, you realize how the revelation 
of Christ truly emphasizes the value and the importance of every body and soul. The sorrow of injury and illness and mental disorders is not only in the hardships that these add to our daily functioning in our lives, but in the way they hinder our ability to worship the Lord while we are on the earth. The division of body and soul at death is not a natural part of the cycle of humanity, but it's a ripping apart of two aspects of being that God, of our being that God created to be together so that we might worship Him for all eternity, their bodies and souls together. Christianity is not just about some inner souls engaged in, in a spiritual pursuit, but Christianity is about down-to-earth living as we worship God in our work, in our relationships, and in our corporate worship. We need our bodies as much as we need our souls if we want to worship God and live together with Him in a relationship of peace for all eternity. You were made to glorify God with every part of your being. And the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ really affirms this so that we can see it so clearly. That's why we confess the gospel of Christ's ascension is that we have our flesh in heaven. It's a benefit of our ascension as well that we confess. We have our flesh in heaven. That's true, we don't want to spend eternity with broken and injured and sick and dying bodies. But we can know that once sin and all its consequences are removed, our physical bodies will be restored in such a marvelous way that we will be able to worship God with them forever, perfectly. Christ's ascension reveals the important place of our human bodies for worshiping God. We, we know this also by experience that, that the singing of songs that we use our whole body to sing the joy that it brings to our hearts and to our minds. The privilege of actually being physically present to worship the Lord together with other believers. We see Christ's ascension reveals the important place for our human bodies in our worship. And so heaven isn't just a place where there's some souls floating around in, in, in a bunch of clouds, but it's a place where the flesh that God created can exist for all eternity. And we could say that with authority because Christ ascended into heaven with a human body. He retained his humanity. That means worship is also not limited to the mental or the spiritual realm or positions or theological positions. Our prayers are not only concerning our spiritual needs, but Christ is a complete redeemer, redeeming us body and soul. And so we move from creation, Genesis 1, uh, Psalm 8, to Christ and his physical, bodily ascension. And we can be sure, certain and assured of the promise of Revelation 22. For if you look in Revelation 22, we read that in the final consummation of, of, of all the ages, the physical and the spiritual will meet, perfected through Christ, having passed through the portal of the grave, our flesh and blood will enjoy the victory of our Lord Jesus in heaven. 
because Christ Jesus attained his glory in his ascension. If you look back a few chapters in Luke and you turn to Luke 9, verse 51, you can see how central this ascension was for our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 9, verse 51, we read, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. You see how that ascension into heaven is something that served as a, as a focal point for Jesus already at that time in his life. And after reading the passages today, we may wonder, why was it such a special thing for our Lord Jesus? What was so special about his ascension? Just looking at Luke 24 and, and Acts 1, on the one hand, this description simply uh, says nothing more than that Jesus was set apart from those who were on the earth and that he went up or he was carried up from the earth. The disciples who were the eyewitness of this, they, they saw him pass through the atmosphere and disappear from their sight. But we, we, and we only come to learn that this was more than just a simple Superman stunt when the disciples were gazing into the sky afterward and they received a visit from two heavenly messengers who explained to them exactly what they had just seen. Jesus hadn't just gone into the sky but he had passed beyond the limits of ordinary human vision to enter heaven. He had gone where no person can go on their own strength, not by building towers, Babel, nor by building personal spaceships that give the rich and famous a chance to be wowed by the darkness on the other side of the blue blanket of our atmosphere. No, our Father had granted the request of his son Jesus Christ when he had pay, prayed in John 17. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The one who had come from the Father was again taken up into glory to return to the Father. Now in his grace, the Lord gave some people on earth the opportunity to look further than his disciples had been able to see when they were on the mountain. The special revelation allowed Stephen in Acts 7 and the Apostle John in Revelation 1 to look right into heaven, confirming that Jesus Christ has attained the glory of heaven. You know that vision in Revelation 1 where the one like the Son of Man was walking and the glory of this Savior in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ really is in heaven with a voice that the Apostle Paul heard speaking to him while he was on earth. Christ, our ascended Lord, is the first and the last, the living one who was dead, but who now is alive forever and ever. He attained his glory. His body is not here on the earth anymore. He will not be seen among us again until he returns. He has attained that glory that he was looking forward to that we read about in, in Luke 9 and his coronation to become king, eternal king. That has important consequences for our worship. And since the body of Jesus Christ is in heaven, he cannot be physically present in the bread and wine of the sacraments. Nor can he be present in his body like heat is present in, over, and under a loaf of bread in the oven 
for human bodies cannot be present in two places at once. And our confession goes into these questions a little bit already in, in Lord's Day 18. It's one of the important consequences of saying Christ's body is in heaven. The idea that he might be among us in some human form, whether it's a fellow student at school or a visitor to our church or that strange guy sitting on the bus, that's all based on a very dangerous desire to turn back the clock to the days when Christ's work was not finished. All these different ways of expressing it are all really saying the same thing. They are actually a denial of the bodily ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The human nature he took on when he was born is the body he has in heaven. And he is no longer on the earth. And so in our language we should be diligent so that we don't make theological constructions or statements that dwell on speculation that actually change who Christ Jesus is. We need to hear that gospel one more time today. Our Savior was only on earth for a short period of time, but he has obtained the victory. He sits at the right hand of God. He said it is finished. He has conquered sin. He has conquered Satan. He is a royal king. That's the consequence of his ascension. And if we believe this gospel, we will seek him in heaven where he is, where he wants to be worshipped. So how do we worship a king who is so far off, so just outside of our human vision? On his ascension into heaven, Christ maintains his nearness. The good news for us is that our ascended king and savior, Jesus Christ, is still with us until the end of the age as he promised his church in Matthew 28, verse 20. It was the display text when we walked in. It's also addressed in our confession. This is possible because Jesus did not lose his divine nature when he took on his human nature. Jesus Christ, our King in heaven, is still 100% divine. Although his human body is in a place called heaven together with his Father, he shares in the divinity of the God of God who asked the prophet Jeremiah, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? When Jesus promised that he would be with us until the end of the age. He was not talking about his human body present on the earth until the end of the age, but about his divinity, his majesty, his grace, and his spirit. And although it's beyond our comprehension, it's difficult to read answer 48 in our confession, which is what we, we believe, and then to follow it up with a lot of explanation. It's difficult to fully comprehend, but the truth scriptures teach is the two natures in the one person of Christ. The two natures that give us the two things we need most in this life at the same time. We have an eternal king with our flesh seated on his throne with all authority in heaven and on earth and we have a 
caring, loving shepherd who maintains his nearness to us in all the trials and joys that we are facing on this earth. That's the gospel of the two natures of Jesus Christ. He is near to us in ways that he could never be near to us if his body was found only in a piece of bread during a sacrament, during a celebration of a sacrament, or if he was just walking around somewhere here on the earth. Do you see the gospel of Christ's ascension for those who belong to him by true faith? Even though we sometimes sin with wrong priorities, or we omit to show kindness to that strange person sitting on the bus, or we are unkind to fellow students in school who are created in the image of God because of our own pride or our own impatience, and those are true struggles that we have. The threat of missing out on Jesus because we're too busy with other things in this life is a threat that is based on very bad theology. It's not true. Sinners do not need to miss out on Jesus Christ. And when people try to urge you to holiness with this threat, they're ignoring that Christ has already been on the earth. He has already fulfilled all righteousness for those who believe in him. He has already given us his spirit who dwells in our hearts as believers. Let me see that God doesn't put the gospel message on the line for us in that way, making it dependent on our strength or our ability to perceive how much we need him. His grace is, is greater than our weakness. The second thing to be aware of when we look at the literature that tries to put Jesus here on the earth again as our neighbor is that the language that's often used is they want you to think about what Jesus would do if he were present among us as if it's a hypothetical situation. And it makes you think that our Lord Jesus isn't actually present with us. And so such kind of literature, such talk, it misleads God's people because it ignores the real, truthful exaltation of Christ into heaven. But it also misleads you by saying too little about the real nearness of Christ to us in every aspect of our lives. Jesus Christ, our King who ascended into heaven, did not leave us as orphans. He is never absent from us. He is always with us by his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit. Even if you sin against him, and even if you are living or if you're, you commit a sin against him and, and you go out with your friends rather than spending time in prayer with your Savior, he is still there. His grace, his majesty, and his spirit are never absent from you. It's a great comfort for believers. As even when you don't have the strength, when you are unfaithful or sinful, when you don't have the words, when the burden is too heavy for you to even move, your king in heaven is never absent from us. How is that possible? 
It doesn't depend on our good imaginations, our ability to bring Christ down in our lives. That's the nature of his work. In his ascension, we see the coronation of our eternal king. And you can know that when your king takes his seat on his eternal throne, it will have benefits to all who belong to him, to all who belong to his body. We confess those benefits in question and answer 49. Peter explains this in Acts 2, verses 32 to 33, when he connects Christ's exaltation into heaven with the gifts that he poured out upon his church, all the gifts that he obtained by his victory. And so with respect to his majesty, he is never absent from us. His majesty is his rule, his government. He is the ruler of kings on earth. All things are under his feet. It's a benefit to remember in our day. Our king is on his throne in heaven. The benefit of his ascension is that there is no king that is greater than he is. He is head over all things, says the apostle, for the church. Through him the father is governing all things. He is never absent from us. We do not need to fear the powers that we might encounter in our lives. In addition to this, with respect to his grace, he is never absent from us. His grace refers to his gathering, his blessing of the church with heavenly gifts. His grace refers to the benefits we receive in his work, the fact that he is interceding for us before the throne in heaven, the pledge of his resurrection and ascension, which are so pivotal in our lives that change how we see everything we do, his heavenly gifts. And finally, with respect to his spirit, he is never absent from us. It is through his spirit that he is working faith in our hearts, that he is strengthening and nourishing that faith through the preaching of the gospel, through the celebration of the sacraments. So we live our lives here. We have our king in heaven. He maintains his nearness to us. Now we face difficult questions and you might think, well, what, what would I do if Jesus was right here beside you? You don't have to use that language because he is with us. You want to know how to behave in church or in school or, or in the coffee shop across from your job site? You don't have to imagine that Jesus was there with you in his, in his body. You don't have to turn back the clock and deny all his victory because he is there by his spirit and he's told you what to do in his word. He also made it clear to you in, in the struggle that your salvation doesn't depend on getting it right every time because he comes to you with the promise that he's already obeyed perfectly for you and in your place. That's true. The Spirit drives us to want to do what is right every time. But when we trip and when we fall, we don't despair of God's mercy or the nearness of our Savior. He has given us his Spirit to desire faithfulness to God, to give you the strength to do it. By that Spirit in our lives, we are, as we confess, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty of God. 
He's never absent from us. And so it is by his never-failing presence in this world that he made and that he made for us to live in that we seek him in heaven at the right hand of God. It's where his word is open, where the Spirit gives faith that we experience his majesty, his glorious presence. And we pray to this risen King, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may be a faithful church that worships Christ where he is until he comes again in the clouds of heaven. Amen.